You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 91 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here in the new year with Alison Tate. The How new are you? year. Here we are. Yes. How did we it? get here? I'm still know. alive after three weeks of school holidays <laughs> and Christmas and etc. Oh, I'm still yes. here and I'm pretty excited about that. I think I'm probably a little creaky though. Are you feeling a little bit creaky in the voice? What do you mean creaky? Well, oh. Just, I haven't well. really spoken sensibly for three weeks so <laughs> do you know what I, I also do you know I was introduced to the notion of vocal fry this week mm-hmm. what's Have vocal you, fry well apparently it's a low vibratory sound that comes in some people's speech particularly at the end of sentences now I oh. couldn't actually think of what it was but it's apparently not good and it's not nice to listen to and, and the best example that people use is Kim Kardashian and I've never actually heard her speak. I've never seen her open her mouth. I mean, she doesn't even smile. She just gives that little Madonna thing. So I don't, I don't know. If anyone can actually explain vocal fry to us, that would be really How did awesome. this come up? Uh, it was in a Guardian article. They would, uh, and I, you know, I know that you're going to want the link for the show notes, but I can't even <laughs> remember where I saw it. I think I was down the rabbit hole of the internet, you know, yes, and I yes. found a mention of it and then I thought I needed to go and find out exactly what it was. So I did that and then I was none the wiser, really. Mm, Have you ever heard of it? I've never heard of it. No, vocal fry. Mm. Well, anyway, speaking of going down the rabbit hole of the internet, I did a fair bit of that on the break and uh, I'm pretty excited about this this particular episode because what we're going to talk about soon after we talk about going down the rabbit hole of the internet Mm. is everyone's writing goals for 2016 and how to achieve them. Mm. So we've got a slightly different episode this week this week, but let's talk about some of the links that are around. And I wanted to start with 17 things everyone who dates a writer should know. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Well, this is on BuzzFeed and I just thought it was kind of cute, but it's so true. You kind of read it and go, oh, my God, that's that's exactly right. Because when you're dating a writer, one of the things that it says is it's hard to keep secrets from us because, you know, if you're telling us your family story and your dysfunctional relationships that you've got with your mum and your sister and whatever, chances are it might end up in a book, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Scary. End up yes. At some point. But the thing is, a clever writer will disguise it in, you know, ways and means that you may never, ever recognise it. I've had so many people. You'll recognise it. <laughs> oh, they, no, I've had so many people looking for themselves in my books. It's not funny. Most of them are oh, not yes. there. I'd just like okay. to hasten to add that, like, really, <laughs> you're not there. Um, 
but there are certain incidents and exchanges and feelings and things that, that you know, have come up from conversations with people that are most assuredly there, but they don't <laughs> recognise that. They're looking for themselves. They're not looking yes. for their experiences. It's quite interesting. Mm. Well, another one is, this is, and I absolutely relate to this, bad grammar is never sexy. You know, no, it's I, not. But, oh. you know, I have to say, like I, I read a lot of these lists and I know we're talking about BuzzFeed here, okay, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's BuzzFeed. But, Take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. But I also think, like, I just feel, I know yeah, everyone gets uptight about the your, your, your thing and the and the use and the, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I also think that that judgy stuff is really unsexy in itself. And I think that if people, you know, you, as a as a writer, surely you have come to understand that people come from different places in the world, and they've had different experience, different experiences in the world. They've had different levels of schooling. I don't I don't judge people on their grammar. I know that people probably think I do. I've got friends who won't write me emails because they're worried <laughs> I'm sitting there with a red pen, which I am <laughs> so not doing. Because at the end of the day, okay, you know what? I am all over the grammar, but I understand that not everybody is. And so I find those kinds of things a little bit like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, it's, uh, I just, you know, writers are a breed unto themselves. No, but this is this, no, 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 Al, this is different because I totally understand where you're coming from. But this is about 17 things everyone who dates a writer should know. So I totally get that you are very forgiving to people in the general population, that they don't necessarily have the best grammar in the world. But how about the person you date? Well, I've been married to a man for 13 years who probably still, you know, incorrectly uses a your occasionally, and I don't judge him on that. He's a carpenter. He's a builder. He, you know, we we have completely different backgrounds. He has so many skills that I do not have and appreciate, like the fact that he can put up shelves and do amazing things like that, which I've got no idea. So I'm not... I'm not that person and I, I understand some writers are. I've met them, I know, but I'm not that person and I think you that… You might be talking to one. Well, I am talking to one. I know that I'm talking to one but I just feel like, you know, I, I just sometimes think that people just need to maybe get over themselves a little bit. I once maybe. dated a guy and um, I was talking to my friends about him, you know, and they were asking me what he was like and I was saying, oh, he's this and this and this and then I said, and he can spell… And they just looked at me and one said, we thought you'd have higher standards than that. No, well, you know what? I, I got asked many years ago, and this is something I have always stood by, I got asked many years ago what I was looking for in a man, okay? So I was at a singles conference for Clio, mm. for Clio. I just want to point that out. So I was reporting from what from the singles conference on what this, this thing was like, and I met this girl. And she's standing there. We're in the foyer and I'm taking notes and I'm doing all my stuff. And I said to her, you know, what are you looking for here? And she goes, oh, I want a man who can cook. I need a man who can do this, who can salsa dance. He has to be able to do this. Like her list was about 17,000 things long, right? Mm. And she said to me, so what are you looking for? And I'm on the spot. I'm standing there. I said, I want a man who reads books and puts up shelves. And that's <laughs> yeah. that covers that's what every- you got. <laughs> but that covers everything. Don't, it, covers you know, everything. It, it covers everything. It's the practicalities of life, which I am a very practical person, and it's someone who thinks – beyond themselves and that's all I was looking for and I think that that pretty much sums it up. Tell me about this link that you found about being catfished. Oh this was fascinating so this was actually um it was on a book blogging a blogging (laughs) blogging a book blogging site a book blogging site called bookish antics and it was uh written by a guy called John 
I don't know his last name because he just calls himself John, J-O-N. And he's been uh, book blogging for over three years and he gets, you know, obviously he gets a lot of books to review and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And he wrote this post about how he was catfished by a fake Penguin employee. Oh, and several bloggers that he knew had been had found themselves in the same boat. So what happened was this woman um, had contacted all the bloggers masquerading as a publicity assistant for Penguin. Right. Um, and the initial, I read the initial, uh, he's put all the emails up on this link, which I will put in the um in the show notes, mm. and the orig- and, and he sort of says he was a bit taken aback by the original email because it was a bit, it's a bit you know, how's your father? It's a little bit casual and stuff. But he just assumed she was new because it had all the right, you know, penguin sign-off address mm. and all that sort of stuff on it. So he just assumed that she was new and that she, you know, hadn't quite got a mojo at that stage. And then the following emails that she sent were much more professional and she was offering to send out these new books that he, um, that Penguin was putting out. Did, she, did he want an ARC and did he want a whatever for review purposes? Yeah. And so... Then he receives an email. He re- receives the ARC and the the uh, and a letter from them. Mm. Um, and there's these two books, and one of them is definitely a Penguin title. Yes. The other is an indie self-published thing oh. that she's obviously. It's actually her book, but she's masquerading oh. as someone else at this point. So to so she's basically like masqueraded as a Penguin employee in an attempt to get her self-published book in front of all these book bloggers who possibly may not have read, um, have, may not have, you know, chosen to read it otherwise. Good Lord. Um, I know. So this is a fascinating thing and I think it's really worth having a look at the at the actual blog post itself because he's got a whole lot of tweets. She'd set herself up with a fake Twitter account. Oh, my God. Um, a whole lot of stuff. Like so much, um, gone to so much trouble yes. to actually like look like a, an actual a person, and all for the to the to the point of actually getting this book in front of book bloggers who might then wow. um, promote it. So I don't know. It's a really interesting thing. I think it shows a couple of things. I think it probably shows um, the reticence of book bloggers to actually review self published books. Like if you've got to go to this length to actually get your self published book in front of people, it just shows that perhaps book bloggers are not as open or some book bloggers are not as open to them as um, mm. as they are to traditionally published. Yes. Secondly, I think it shows um, sort of, you know, the, the lengths that you may need to go to to actually promote your book, to get your book out there because as, as we've discussed many times, mm. um, you know, it's never been easier to actually publish a book. Yes. Like it's, it's a very, very simple process and it, it allows – people to put the work out there that they want to put out there, you know, the gatekeepers, et cetera, you don't need to worry about them anymore, et cetera. However, getting that book then read by people and discovered by people is incredibly difficult. And so this person has come up with this amazing um, campaign. Oh. And I mean, I guess campaign I guess, isn't even the right <laughs> word, at I least just, fraud. <laughs> I don't know what word you would actually use for this. Um, so she's been, uh, Penguin's been alerted about this particular person. Her Gmail account's been shut down because she was sending so many emails from it. Oh my God. But um, yeah, I it's sort of interesting. I mean, the 
the fault the fallout of this of course is that okay more people will know about this woman and her book yes. um but i think it has not been a benefit to her no. with regards to her goodreads page and all that sort of stuff i think there's been some stuff happening there but i yeah really well we insane. do not suggest that you do this no we do not <laughs> I, I i think what i think what needs to be understood is the repercussions of this kind of stuff because mm. it's just you know, it's a black mark all over her name, and and you know, Goodreads uh, readers, readers, for example, they they go off at this kind of stuff. They hate it. Like it's not um, not something that is ever going to be beneficial. Mm, I don't believe mm. the lengths people will go to. You know, I was at a, um, I was actually emceeing a conference once and one of the speakers got up and then I sat down because I introduced him and I sat down while he did his presentation and one of his slides in his presentation was all about his um, some testimonials from his happy customers and they he put the testimonial up in big writing on the screen and a photo of the the person mm. and and it was, you know, let's just say Sarah Jones or whatever. That wasn't the name, but it, let's say it was Sarah Jones. But it wasn't Sarah Jones. It was actually actually a mutual friend of you and I. Oh, no. It was someone else. And I just sat there with my jaw dropped and I took a photo of it immediately because I knew that that's not Sarah Jones. It was someone we actually know. Oh, no. And I did say to him later, that's not Sarah Jones because I know that person and I have that photo of that person as well, so I know it's definitely that person. You know what I mean? It wasn't just a doppelganger. I had what the exact, I had the exact photo. He blamed it on his team. He said, "Oh, oh, oh you know, oh, my team must have picked the wrong photo or something." No. Unbelievable! But fake and, testimonial. Yeah, I don't know. Well, or <gasps> fake. Yeah, I'm not exactly mm. sure how that all happened, but to to put it out so publicly and for someone in the audience to actually know. That's hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this the links people will go to. We don't recommend you do that either. Don't recommend it. <laughs> Let us. Unfortunately, move on. you're going to be. I mean, I think the thing to realise too is that unfortunately, I guess you just you get found out these days. Yeah. Out is long. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. So let's move on to another link that is from Writer Unboxed, and it's how to craft a page turning plot. Now, this mm. was interesting to me because it occurred to me when I've been speaking to various people, when I've been talking about plot and, you know, structure and that sort of thing, that some people actually aren't clear what plot is and what the traditional plot points are. And you don't necessarily have to follow them exactly, but you certainly need to know what they are and and where they occur. You know what I mean? Mm. So um, traditionally we, we talk about, and this this post which we'll put in the show notes also talks about it, um, the inciting incident in the first instance. It's particularly frequent in, you know, you, you see this plotted out in screen in um, narrative arcs in screenplays. And then there's the first plot point, which is generally at the end of the first act of a screenplay. But, if, you know, it might be the end of a first however many chapters in a book. Then you have your midpoint or your turning point. <clears throat> and then you have your third plot point. And people know that there's there's kind of these major points. Then you have a black moment and then a climax and resolution. But what people often don't know is where they go. They think they're kind of equidistant or that there's meant to be um, that their big moment before their resolution it can, ha- um, can go on for chapters and chapters and chapters when it really shouldn't. And it, it occurred to me that people don't necessarily know where these spots are. When you're planning, do you consciously 
not plotting, writing. Do you consciously um, think about where you should be putting these plot points? Valerie. <laughs> oh, no, is it instinctive for you? Well, maybe think, it is because you, you, it is probably instinctive for you. I, I think um, uh, I, I love these questions about process because it's, um, it's incredibly difficult uh, for me to answer them. Um, so <laughs> okay. I think that I think it's one of those situations where, okay, so the basic premise is this. In my lifetime, I have read 80 billion books. Yes. Let's just round figures, 80 billion books. Um, and I think that from the reading of those 80 billion books, mm. I think that you uh, there's an instinctive notion yes. of approximately where things go. Yes. So when, I, um, when I'm writing, because as we've discussed at length and boringly, um, I'm not a plotter, I think that I... Uh, am instinctively putting these things into where they need to go. But it's also, it's a matter of instinct. Like, you know, the set situation of, you know, you talk about the end of the first act. Uh, the first plot point is generally occurring at the end of the first act. Well, it's kind of like, well, this is where you get to a point where you're writing. It's like, well, something's got to happen. And I'm probably going to need a subplot here because this story is not going to last for X number of thousand words unless I start bringing in some other things. But it's an instinctive thing. Um, from that perspective, what I think that um, shouldn't be overlooked either, particularly uh, if you are like people who plot out their work in advance and will have inciting incident here, first plot point here, etc., um, do so with a very, very uh, often sort of long uh, structural kind of like sub story. So they'll they'll write a twenty thousand word outline, mm. and that will give them the basic structure of where everything goes. People who write the way I write, where they're kind of working it out as they go along, will write their 50,000 words and then will realise what the story is and then they will go back and in the rewrite they will move things around in the sense of, oh, that really needs to be back here further mm. so that the story makes more sense and we have the three-act structure, you know, in place. I saw a fantastic tweet from uh, YA author Gabrielle Tozer yep. last night where she she basically summed up her writing process as this is my writing process, writes 99,000 words, realises finally what story is about, rewrites 99,000 <laughs> <laughs> And I think, you know, starts again. I think that that's kind of like that pretty much sums up how a, yes. a pantser, so someone who writes by the seats of the seat of their pants, how that might work for them. People like uh, the fabulous Kate Forsyth who runs the, uh, plotting course for the Australian Writers Centre, she doesn't do, she doesn't have that massive rewrite mm. because she has already worked all that stuff out before she starts. Mm. Um, so you know, I and I and I people always say to me, why don't you just do that, Alison? Because it would save you time and you know dramas. Um, <laughs> but the reason I don't do it is that once I know how it finishes. I don't write the I won't write the story. Mm. So for me, I have to. It's a it's a discovery. It's a discovery. It's a process of mm. discovery, and I need to be discovering what's going on as much as the reader does mm. for me to be remain interested in actually finishing the manuscript. But I also think you hit the nail on the head when you say you've read eighty billion books, and it mm. well, does surprise me sometimes. People who say you know want to write novels but hard, don't read that much, or they want to, really want to write for magazines but never read magazines. Mm. And I think that it goes a long way if you want to write in a particular genre or a particular format or whatever. 
make sure you read widely, 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 widely in that format. And mm. and I certainly know that, you know, um, I just read, I devoured magazines through, over many, many years of my life. And I worked in a news agent just so I could, because I couldn't afford all the magazines, so I could just be in the news agent and read all the magazines. Yeah, yeah. And so when it finally came to writing for magazines, I took to it like a duck to water. So it's, it's you've got to read widely in the kind of field that you want to be published in because it's going to be so much easier for you if you do. Well, that's the best way to study anything, isn't yes, it? And then that's what you need to do. You need to study it to understand how you can then do it yourself. Yeah. Hmm. Let's move on to another link, which is from the Great Kill Zone blog. Yeah, I love and this. And <laughs> top 10 things you need to know about the writing life. Because I know that a lot of people wake up in the new year and they decide, I'm going to write and I'm going to do this. And I think that's fantastic because I think you should, you know, what better time to start your writing resolutions or your writing goals and start the new year. But there's, this is just a cute post. Um, and I really like some of the things that they've said. Mm. So one is you have to love it. I mean, I think mm. that goes without saying. You have to, I think that um, you were just saying to me before we hit record, Al, that you are just in this situation at the moment that all you want to do right now is write this particular idea that you've got going. And when you have that feeling, it's fantastic mm. because you know you're on a good thing, you have a mm. purpose kind of thing. Uh, but likewise, it's uh, you. this is realistic. The next one is you have to learn to handle discouragement. Now, yes. here's the thing is that um, some people are just naysayers and, and some people um, uh, will discourage you without even knowing that they're discouraging you. Mm. And you have to take that with a grain of salt because sometimes they it's coming from people who don't know what they're talking about. Oh yeah. oh yeah, you know, and so it's it, it's writing is such a personal thing. It's so easy to get discouraged. Anything artistic, really, whether it's your writing or your music or your whatever, it's so easy to get discouraged. But just block those people out and do it for the love. I would say, yeah, because point eight, and this is something that I think a lot of people need to realise too, is um, it is hard work. Oh yeah. You know, if you're if you're actually going to, and it's not hard work like digging ditches is hard work. <laughs> I'm onto it. I'm on that. Yes. But that notion of of pushing yourself forward and getting yourself to the to the end of something and continuing to write and producing words on a scheduled basis. This is what it, the reality of of the writing life is. It is producing words on a scheduled basis. It is constantly, you know, creating new work. It is um, it is putting in the time to do the edit. It is all of those things. And, you know, mm. you don't always feel like it. Like, really, honestly, I know I don't <laughs> always feel like it. I do feel like it at the moment and I can't get to it because of the school holidays. But, um, you you know, it's, it's kind of you've got to show up and yeah. you've got to show up on a daily basis to at least think about what you're doing, if not actually do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But now let's move on to something quite different. Mm -hmm. um, we have a giveaway this week. Now I think Ooh. this is a really interesting one because this is the novel Trigger Mortis and it is a James Bond mo novel but mm -hmm. it is being written by Anthony Horowitz. So this Yay. is very exciting because it's the latest Bond novel to be commissioned by the estate of Bond's creator, Ian Fleming, and it's actually set in 1957 mm -hmm. against the backdrop of the space race and 
interestingly for James Bond fans in particular, which I am, it begins two weeks after the events of Goldfinger, which of mm. course is you know one of the very famous stories in James Bond. So very exciting. If you want to win a copy of this, go to writerscentercomau slash win. So writerscentercomau slash win and uh, you can enter. But, of course, if you are listening to the back catalogue of this and it's sometime in the future, um, this competition will be closed. But there will be another competition. So go to that uh, link anyway and you can enter the next competition. But I want to move on now to what we want to talk about this week. So we're straying away from our usual interview this week because it's the start of the year. We want to kick it off right. We want to motivate and inspire people to get their writing goals sorted. Right. Yes. Let's do that. Let's do that. So put on my cheerleader hat right now. Absolutely. And how to achieve your writing goals in 2016. So let's kick off with, I think... And I'm really keen to get your, you know, input on this. Mm. You first need to obviously define what your writing goals actually are. So because you, the, the only way to achieve them is to get clarity on what they are and get clarity on the steps that you need to take mm. in order to, to get there. So we surveyed our community, and thank you for all of those people who filled in the survey. Um, lots of people responded uh, about what your writing goals are for 2016. Now, we've got a huge variety of people, I mean, a huge variety of responses. One was, you know, to submit a manuscript to um, an agent or publisher. Another was to um, write any two of their novel ideas. That was that was Ben. Um, the first one was Darren. Um, Yvette said she wanted to become a feature and opinion writer for selected magazines. Uh, while um, Lisa said she wanted to finish a YA story that she started in March this year. <clears throat> and Kylie said JFDI. She's <laughs> fair enough. Just freaking yes. <laughs> do it. And she said, I have held on to this lifetime joy of writing far too long. 2016 is my year of for getting on and just doing it. So lots and lots of different things because Andrew has said to get onto the paid copywriting circuit as well as write his screenplay. So in the first instance, everyone's going to be different. You've all got different writing goals. So you need to determine and write down. Don't just let it brew around in your head. Write down what you want to achieve in terms of your writing this year. And um, because even just the act of writing it down, it Mm. just helps you to distill what they are. And I can't, it's not just, oh, I should write more or I should, you know, and it's not even, I don't think, finish my manuscript this year. Try and say finish my manuscript by August or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and then break that down into write three chapters per month or whatever, if, you know, it depends on how far you are into your manuscript. But after defining what your goals are, what do you think the next step is, Al? Well, I think the next step is to decide whether or not your goals are realistic because I think that one of the biggest problems that people have is that they will create a goal for themselves that is um, so overwhelmingly large Mm. that they don't, you know, they don't know where to start. Like get published this year even if you haven't written a word. Precisely. And, you know, all those sorts of things. So, um, and, and I think that's one of the most important things. It's like, you know, I mean, you and I have done enough 
new year, new you resolution stories yes. know <laughs> over the years that um, any psychologist will tell you that resolutions don't work because people, they're too vague. People, are, they're too big. You know, I'm going to lose 20 kilos and, yeah. you know, there's no time frame, there's no nothing. So I think, you know, have a look at your goal. Is it realistic? If your goal is to get published this year and you haven't even started writing your novel, mm. let's think about is that realistic? Mm. Maybe a more realistic goal is actually finish the novel. So maybe that's mm. this year's goal and getting published is next year's goal. But be realistic about what you're doing so that you don't, you know, become completely and utterly overwhelmed. Mm. And then I think the next thing to do is to move on to step two, mm. which is to assess whether or not you actually have the skills to um, to complete that goal. Yeah, so, Do absolutely. you know what you need to know? Um, what do you need to find out? To, to actually get where you want to go, what do you need to be able to do? And I think that those sorts of that that's um, that's about being realistic as well. It's taking stock of what you can do and what you do know, and making a little bit of a list for yourself. You know how much I love a list. Yeah. Making a little bit of a list for yourself of perhaps the things that you might also need to do um, to actually make that happen. And on that point, in terms of being realistic, I mean, because you don't know whether you're being realistic or not, if you, you know, aren't armed with enough information. So to, to, to help you determine whether you're being realistic, ask people, I mean, mm. ask people who have done it. Mm. So if you want to write a novel, ask somebody who's write, written a novel. If you want to get published in magazines, ask somebody who's been published in magazines. Because, of course, you, you don't really, you, it's very hard for you to assess whether it's realistic unless you've got some kind of benchmark. So I encourage you to, 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 to do that, to ask people. And mm. and then determine, as Alison said, if you to help you determine whether you have the skills, you kind of need to know, well, what skills do you need? Again, yeah. ask the people who have gone before you and, and, and who've actually done it. Because sometimes it's so easy to think, oh, I can read all I need to know on the internet, especially in this mm. day and age. Mm. And I was talking to a, um, a guy who has written his third, yes, his third novel. Uh, they're not yet published, but he's written his third novel in a, in a series. Mm. And I had, he only just finished his third novel. So I probably first started talking to him when he'd written his first novel. And I said to him, okay, so what have you, what did you do to get the skills to write the novel? And he said, oh, I haven't done any courses or anything. And I, and he said, so because he came to me because he wanted to know how to market his book. And I said, okay, well, maybe we need to take a step back because I know that you want to learn how to market your book, but it's probably more important to make sure that you've written the best novel you can. Mm. And this was probably oh, four years ago. And only now that he's actually done our write, our novel, write your novel course, has he realized, oh my God, I wish I did this four years ago mm. because m now my novel is 20 times better than mm. what it was when I thought all I needed to do was learn how to market it. Now he's actually loving it and, you know, doing it again, doing, doing the course again because he wants to do it for his second novel. So, so it, you know, it, learning can go a long way and mm. what you can learn from people who have gone before you can go a lot long, a, um, much further than what you can read on, a, on the internet. You That's know? right. And it's like, you know, like, doing a course, going to a conference, attending a talk, mm. something like that, it, you know, it, it might save you oh. months and months and months yes. of heartache. Yes. Years. 
Yeah, it makes a huge difference mm. um, to actually, you know, learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. Now, the third point is something that um, I have your voice echoing in my brain whenever I say this to people uh, because you, you always say to people um, you can never find the time to do X, usually to do writing. You yes. need to make the time. You do. So the third step is you do need to schedule in time. But don't think you need to schedule in four hours every Sunday afternoon when you would no. normally take the kids swimming or whatever. Oh, no. It's, it's not, that's not realistic in, in our no. busy world. No. You are the a wonderful time manager, so I'm going to let you take this one. Well, look, I think that one of the things that people need to recognise is that, you know, if you want to achieve a goal, to get to the goal that you want to achieve, particularly when it comes to writing or something like that, you have to create a habit. Mm. It's actually more important to create the habit than to sort of shoot for the moon for the goal. So what you want to do with your writing is you need to create a writing habit. And it does not have to be, as you say, four hours on a Sunday afternoon. It doesn't even have to be um, an hour a day. It doesn't mean, you you know, you have to do any of those sorts of things. What you need to do is find a way to schedule it into your day um, and as, and some people, it will, it will be three times a week. Like be realistic again because mm. if you say, I'm going to write for an hour a day and I'm going to do it at 5 o'clock every morning mm-hmm. and then you miss a couple of days, it's like any resolution. You'll be like, oh, well, you know, that's that done, gone. Mm. Um, so think about how you can fit in 30 minutes a day and it may well be that it is while the kids are at the pool or it might be yes. while you are, you could be like Tristan Banks, remember our fabulous um <laughs> interview with him where yes. he talked about the fact that he gets up, goes for a walk and writes 2,000 words on his iPhone. With his thumbs. <laughs> with his thumbs while he walks. <laughs> on the beach. I mean, I'm sitting here at the moment and I've got this new manuscript that I've started working on um, three days ago because I was so excited by myself. Um, and I have got 5,000 words done in three days and I have done that in 30-minute bursts. Mm. So the first couple of days I aimed for 500 words in 30 minutes. And if you sit down and think, I'm just going to try and do 500 words in 30 minutes, you'll manage more, yeah. generally speaking. You'll get in 800 or whatever. So I, I managed to crank out 1,200 words in 30 minutes yesterday. So, like, you don't it, – it, I, I think if you try to set aside a day to write, you will not get there no. and you will not write. But 30 minutes, like – and all I have to do is try for 500 words, yep. you can do that. So try to create that habit and you need to do it by actually writing it in your diary or scheduling it into your day. And if you get to the point where it's late in the day and you haven't done it, it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down at 8.30. I'm going to miss whatever's on telly mm. and I am going to do my 30 minutes now. So, you know, it, and it becomes a habit and you will notice if you don't do it. That's because the key. It's like an addiction. Mm. Like, for me it is. It's like an addiction. It's like, oh, my God, you know, I've got to find out what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Use it like an addiction and, and go with the flow while it's with you. Absolutely. And I, and I think that thing about making sure it's a habit is really important. Um, one of our graduates, Catherine Rohde, who is now one of the most prolific freelance writers in Australia, uh, she, you know, talks about how she'll go to the gym and she'll be watching, you know, whatever show they've got on at the gym, but she gets ideas from mm-hmm. the shows. You know, she's not watching yep. Kim Kardashian or whatever. She's watching some shows. She's getting ideas from the show. And while she's on the treadmill, she she formulates that idea in her brain. And while she's on the treadmill, she will type, uh, she will pitch that idea to an editor and mm-hmm. she'll get a she'll get a response, like a yes or whatever. And and 
well, after she gets that response, she can then, while she's still on the treadmill, start emailing um, experts for commentary on the article. Yeah. And so by the time she's finished with the gym and gotten home, she's already kind of like halfway through organising that article. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and that's the thing with freelancing too. Like maybe have maybe the habit that you need to make, maybe the time that you need to schedule it is, okay, once a week I am going to pitch three ideas or, mm. you know, or maybe with if you're trying to build your copywriting uh, business as somebody's goal was, maybe you need to schedule in time each week to contact new clients or to, yes. you know, do something like that. Whatever it is, whatever step it is that you need to make your goal, think about how you can break it down and make it into a habit because that is the way to actually actually get it done. Absolutely. Now, with uh, all of the writing goals that people uh, kindly responded with, uh, a lot of them fell into the categories, two main categories, actually. I mean, there were many, many, many types of writing goals, but there were two that really stood out. And one was definitely to write a novel, you know, short stories and novels. And the other was to get into feature writing for magazines and newspapers. So if you're interested in creative writing, you know, writing fiction, short stories, and or a novel and you've never written before but you love the idea I strongly suggest that you start with a course at the Australian Writers' Centre called Creative Writing Stage 1. But if you already made your way through it, you know, you've got 20,000 words of a novel and you've already had some kind of creative writing training, then consider uh, the six-month Write Your Novel course. And if you want feature writing for magazines and you haven't had any experience in writing for magazines, maybe you've really enjoyed blogging but you haven't, haven't yet made it as a freelance writer where you get paid to write for magazines and newspapers, then I highly recommend that you start with magazine and newspaper writing stage one. But step five, so step four, sorry, was do some kind of course if you haven't already got the skills. Mm -hmm. Step five is especially if you are writing a novel or thinking of writing a novel is to start thinking about what you need to do to build your author platform because you shouldn't wait until, you know, your novel's complete and on the bookshelves. Isn't that right? No. No, that's, and this is particularly important for people whose goal might be to find an agent this year, to get mm. published this year. Perhaps you've got a completed manuscript and you, you're, you're ready to submit it so you're going to send it out or you're going to write your query letters or whatever you're going to do. What you need to have in place is some kind of presence where if agents or publishers or, or you know, whoever, random interested parties mm. are Googling you, that the message that comes up, the first thing that they find when they search is something that you have created. You want the message to be your message, your brand message. So you need to get started with that like today. Like, yeah. Seriously, right now. Um this this is a this this comes down there's a there's a whole process involved in this but like it essentially comes down to establishing your presence your profile and your message um, online because online is where people will start looking for you if you send your submission in they will read your novel mm. but let's not let's 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 not sort of like get the cart before the horse they will read your novel. And so clearly you want your novel to be the best thing that you can possibly be sending out. And yep. so let's imagine that you have sent out an amazingly great book. So they read your amazingly great book. They think this is fantastic. They Google you. Mm. 
because they want to see what sort of um, presence you have. Do you have any social media? Because at the end of the day, and I know that this is not something that lots of people want to think about, but at the end of the day, the author these days is, even if you are traditionally published, the author must take some responsibility for promoting their own work. Um, It's going to come down to you as much as it is to anything. And particularly after that first burst, when your first book, when your book comes out, um, publishing houses will give you basically a a few weeks uh, around the publishing of your book for, you know, where they will actively seek out interviews for you, where they will actively seek out um, uh, publicity opportunities, et cetera. After that, a lot of it comes down to you. Yes. To keep it going, to keep that ball rolling, it's going to come down to you. So the sooner you get used to having that uh, having that to manage, mm. knowing how to manage it um, and, you know, making the most of it, the sooner you get used to that, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think that you can succeed these days as a newbie author without building your author platform, you're nuts. It's, mm. You need to build your author platform. And I'm pretty excited because Alison has created a step-by-step eight-module blueprint on exactly how to build your author platform. And we're launching it soon. But if you want to register your interest, you will be given an exclusive never-to-be-released-again offer, uh, pre-launch offer. So if you want to register your interest in that course, go to writerscenter.com.au slash platform and um you'll be the first to know about allison's new course when it launches in mid-february yay step seven is that you can you need to remember that it can happen your goal even if it may seem far away right now can happen and sometimes when you're in the depths of your writing and you you know you can't get past this 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 particular plot point or can't figure out what's going to happen next it can, you've got to remind yourself that it can happen and you need to do what it takes to motivate yourself because everyone's different. Some people are motivated by, you know, praise. Some people are motivated by being around other people who are, um, who are doing the same thing. And if that's Mm -hmm. the case, like join a writer's group or something, but you know, not everyone's like that. Some people are motivated by great motivational quotes that they stick up on their walls. Mm -hmm. So work out what motivates you and inspires you and encourages you um, maybe it's listening to a podcast like this and and do it you know feed yourself that kind of that kind of fuel to help keep you going so that you get to the, your goal and I think the important thing to remember is that everybody feels the same way at some point everybody feels that they're not going to get to the end of this novel that this novel is the worst thing they've ever written that it's everyone every published author that I have ever met has these moments and I still see them talking about them on Twitter and places like that. They get halfway through and they think, no, this isn't going to happen or they get published and they think they'll never get published again or whatever. Everyone goes through it. So if you can put yourself in the position of thinking it's just a moment, everyone goes through this, I'm just (laughs) going to keep writing. If you get to a particularly difficult point in writing your manuscript and you can't get past it, write something else or find another scene or just... Anything that you can do just to keep those words flowing in some way, shape or form and you will come back to it. Go for a walk. I mean, honestly, I know I bang on about watering and weeding and (laughs) and walking and all of those W things that I do, but that idea of walking away and letting your mind just do what it needs to do, it is so valuable. That active meditation thing, so incredibly valuable because it allows you to feel like you're doing something useful and then you come back. And you'd be amazed how much it gets you through any sort of writer's block or whatever that you might be having. 
Absolutely. And when you do that, you know, I mean, the great thing about writing, it's like what you're going through right now. When you're in that flow, it's pretty damn exciting, isn't it, Al? Oh, it's the best feeling in the world. Like, mm. I honestly, like people say to me, why do you do this to yourself? And it's like, well, because I can't not. I'm mm. completely addicted to that sensation yes. of of this story pouring out, wondering, I don't even know where it comes from half the time, you know, <laughs> and that fit, I don't. And I love that. And it's it's sort of like I, I just think, gosh, where did that come from? You don't even know what's in your mind yeah. until you open up those pathways and allow it to flow out. It's very exciting. So our episode this week is a little bit different and it's a little bit mm. shorter than normal. But mm. what we want to do is wrap up with um, uh, what's going on at Dimix, Al? Oh, okay, yeah. So Dimix is currently uh, searching for Australia's top 101 favourite books. Great. And I mention this just in case any of you might be able to think of a children's book that you might like to nominate for that. But no, seriously, <laughs> you can nominate up to 10 books for Australia's favourite book. And also Booktopia is also searching for Australia's favourite author. So um, there's lots of interesting things going on. And these are great ways to support your favourite authors or just to be involved or um, to be part of that big bookish community out there, which, of course, we love. Um, so, yeah, so I just thought I'd let you guys know that that was Alison happening. is way too modest. I'm going to say it. So I'm putting the link in the show notes. So with Dimmix, you can vote and readers can vote. So you can actually nominate a book. So yesterday I nominated The Mapmaker Chronicles Race to the End of the World by Alison Tate. Because you are a very supportive friend. Yes. And I can't wait to see it up there because I think it's awesome and it absolutely (laughs) deserves to be up there. It's won, you know, practically every other book award or been shortlisted for every other book award. So it certainly deserves to be in the Dimmicks one. We'll put in the link in the show notes. We'd really value your support if you could vote for Alison's book. The Mapmaker Chronicles Race to the End of the World. So there you go. <laughs> and also authors, everybody needs a friend like Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, what are you up to until we chat again next week? Well, I'm going to be wedging my 30-minute um, writing bursts in and I'm hoping to get, you know, another 5,000 words or so done on this on this new manuscript by the time we speak next time. So Exciting. I, I don't tend to plan weekly goals. I uh, sorry, I don't tend to plan annual goals. I, I break mine down into monthly, and I'm working on trying to get this thing done um, by the end of the month because I've got a big project starting uh, in February. Yes, very exciting. Well, we hope you have a fantastic week, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.